Good morning, TLC. It's torn. Is that too much? That's, it maybe feels like a little too much for a Sunday morning when you're at home on your couch uh, with your family or with a friend or two, your roommates, whatever. But uh, I hope it doesn't feel like too much because I'm just excited. I'm excited to be with you. Hey, uh, we're continuing our Words That Perform series. Uh, some words inform and other words perform, right? Uh, they actually do something to us when we speak them Uh, when we live them, when we hear them. And the Apostles' Creed is actually filled with words that perform. It it basically explains how we as Christians have engaged with uh, our faith uh, since the beginning, what we actually believe. In fact, it starts off by saying, I believe. Okay, you could actually change the word I to the word we because it's a communal creed, not just something that individuals believe. It is what the church believes. Believes And this morning, uh, I want to talk about kind of three things, okay? Uh, the problem, the solution, if we're willing to believe it, and the benefits. The benefits, if we're willing to participate. Uh, we've been talking about what we believe in, which has been, uh, we talked about God the Father, Jesus Christ, his Son, uh, the Holy Spirit, and when we kind of link through those, like even for people that are just kind of, you know, uh, mildly connected to a faith family, folks are usually like, yeah, I believe in God the Father, sure. Uh, Jesus, his only son, sure, died, rose again, yeah, okay, fine. Uh, The Spirit, sure, I don't really understand that well, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we say, and I believe in the Holy Church. Hmm, I think sometimes we start to like really question, well, do I? Uh, I think another question is, is she actually worth believing in? Uh, it, it's no secret that church attendance, uh, in the U.S. at least, has been dropping for the last 30 years. I think they say regular church attendance, which was like three to four weeks a year, was almost 60% of the population 30 years ago. Uh, now it's about 35% of the population, give or take. Uh, even folks that are passionate uh, about the church, love the church, appreciate the church, uh, we've seen that they're Regular attendance has been dropping pretty significantly. Uh, They say regular attenders now actually attend two to three times uh, a month rather than three to four times a month. Uh, In fact, there's a blogger, a pretty uh, well-known blogger in in, in Christian circles, wrote an article on on the ten reasons why people who actually like the church are attending less frequently. Uh, The reasons are not, honestly, incredibly flattering. Uh, I got a buddy who recently wrote an article about all the changes that churches have been having to make during this whole COVID-19. And one of the things that he said at the very end of the article uh, was that uh, he thinks a lot of families are actually going to kind of get used to and comfortable uh, with watching church in the comfort of their home. And he thinks that there's going to be a lot of folks that actually kind of turn that into their more weekly ritual, that that that's what's going to continue with them. And uh, if I'm being honest, and it has, I know it probably is like, oh yeah, yeah, well you're a pastor, of course. It's not actually because I'm a, I'm a pastor. <laughs> uh, that saddens me. Now, um, I, I will acknowledge, though, that I'm not the most like impartial person to have this conversation. Okay. Uh, however, I want to try today uh, to explain to you why I believe that the church is not only essential to following Jesus, but actually is in your best interest. Okay. 
I want to share with why believing in the church, why participating in the church is not only essential to following Jesus, but is actually in my best interest and your best interest, our best interest. Now, I've already acknowledged I'm not impartial on this, all right? Uh, But it's not because I'm a pastor. It's actually because of what I've experienced. And not just what I've experienced, but countless, like hundreds, thousands of people that I've personally interacted with, as well as the testimonies of millions of people over thousands of years that have talked about the power, the beauty, the benefit of belonging to, participating in church. Um, When the Apostles' Creed says, I believe, like the word believe there, you could actually transition that to the word participate in. Okay, Because when the Bible talks about belief, it's an, always an active belief. It's a, it's a doing belief. It's a participating in kind of belief. So when we talk about believing in the church, what we're really talking about is I participate in the church. I believe in the church. Now, um, there's this quote that I saw that I really like. Uh, I don't believe in the church because I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor because I believe in the church. Do you know who said that? Me. I said that, actually. It's my own quote. It's a good quote, though, right? It's good. I I like it. I like it a lot. There is another quote that I heard from uh, another pastor who said this. He says, I couldn't believe more that the promise of the local church is greater than the problems of the local church. He says, I couldn't believe more that the promise of the local church is actually greater than the problems of the local church. But if we're going to be honest, man, there's some serious, legit, real problems with the local church. I mean, the single best argument for, or excuse me, against the church is namely the church itself, right? No other group of people falls so far short of what it was intended to be. Uh, In fact, back in 1531, a long time ago, Martin Luther, at his Easter message, actually said this. He said, there is no greater sinner than the Christian church. Happy Easter, (laughs) y'all. But it's true. I mean, if we're going to talk about the church, like, we have to acknowledge the fact that, like, we fall so far short of what we're intended to be. I mean, it happens, like, in all facets and levels of the church. From just people who are engaged barely to, to leaders of the church I got a buddy that uh, is a pastor now, but when he was in middle school, he was kind of, well, I don't know, crazy, little probably ADHD, asked too many questions, talked too much, liked to laugh too much. Well, uh, the middle school youth group was actually having a short-term missions project that summer, and he thought it'd be fun to go on that. So he filled out a little application, uh, turned it in to the, to the youth pastor, and then got denied. <laughs> he was told that he wasn't spiritual enough. Literally, those are the quotes. You are not spiritual enough to go on the trip. So he went to some of his youth group leaders and he said, well, how do I get more spiritual so that I can go on the trip? And they said, well, the, the best way to get more spiritual is actually to go on a short-term missions trip. And he was like, um, what am I supposed to do? So he went back, talked to his youth pastor. And he said, well, I'm supposed to get more spiritual, but I don't even know how I actually can do that because I can't go on the missions trip, but that's probably the best way. And, and the pastor said, I really don't have time for you right now. Um, why don't you go talk to your small group leader? The sad thing was he didn't actually have a small group leader because he hadn't been put into a small group. Now, now that's like one of those things you're like, yo, man, that's crazy. Like the, his own youth pastor wouldn't even be kind enough to, to talk to him. The, he got 
punked out because he was not spiritual enough? That's a jerk youth pastor. <laughs> but that's nothing like, like the youth pastor that I had. I mean, when I, when I was in high school, uh, my youth pastor that I really looked up to uh, wound up being convicted of, pleading guilty to, uh, grooming and sexually assaulting a 14-year-old girl who was a good friend of mine in our youth group. Rocked me. Our church, our youth group, that family, especially that young girl. Uh, The greatest sinner is the church itself. You can Google right now. Jump on Google and you would find all kinds of ways that the church has failed, miserably failed in what it's supposed to be. Uh, There's a church up north uh, whose pastor just recently got indicted for embezzling funds from the church. Uh, I just heard about a a, a pastor in Chicago who had embezzled over uh, or close to a million dollars from a federal program that was being funneled through the church that was supposed to help feed and care uh, for the poor and vulnerable in his community. And he had been siphoning off funds. Uh, I know of another family that went to a church and the church asked that family to please stop coming because their special needs son was making people feel uncomfortable. How awful is that? Uh, We have often been one of the worst examples of what the church is actually supposed to be. Look, uh, I know that one of the single best arguments against the church is the church itself. But I actually believe um, that there is a solution. Now before I get into the solution though, I think a lot of times we say, well yeah, but if we could just get back to what the church used to be like. Like that's the problem. We've institutionalized it. Like it's become this man-made thing. It's never what God intended. Uh, Baloney. Church has been like this since its inception because it's created through the work of human beings who are broken and and failed and and prideful and angry and have addictions and hurts and hang-ups. It's always been this way. In fact, if you go back and read the New Testament, you'll find that the New Testament churches uh, were as messed up, if not more messed up, than even many of our churches today. I mean, the church in Corinth, all right, here's some things that were happening. Christians were taking other Christians to court and suing them publicly. Uh, people in the church were sleeping with prostitutes and it was fairly well known. The church was dividing into different factions regarding who was the better teacher, Paul or Apollos. So literally the church is like splitting over these issues and kind of fighting. Wealthy Christians were feasting at church meals while poor Brothers and sisters from that same church would show up and they were unwilling to actually share the food from their feasts with those who had little to nothing. Worship services had turned into this disorderly competition to actually see who was more gifted, who had the better gifts within the church. There's actually a guy who's sleeping with his father's wife and the church knows about it and is doing nothing. You want to talk about messed up? Like the early church was messed up. The church has always been messed up. Like we've got issues. We've got problems. Is she actually worth believing in? Is the church actually worth believing in? Rather than try to give a list of excuses for all of the church's failures and, and, and just disgusting antics, ways that we have not been who we're supposed to be, 
Uh, I actually think that there's one argument that trumps all of the failures of the church if we're willing to believe it. I think that there's one argument for the church that trumps all the other arguments against the church, but only if we're willing to believe it. And this is the argument. This is the solution. It is the idea that God designed and created the church for our benefit and for his glory. God designed and created the church for our benefit and for his glory. We must never forget that the church is God's idea. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open up to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. The very first time that we hear about the word church is actually found in this passage, Matthew chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 15. You can follow along with me. Jesus is talking. Jesus is asking the disciples. He says, but what about you? He asked, Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. I tell you that you are Peter, which means rock. It's awesome. And on this rock, Peter, I will build my church. You see what Jesus says? Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I Jesus will build my church. Now, uh, we've never heard the word church in our Bible up until this point, okay? So a lot of times when we see it, we're like, yo, church, uh, what in the world is this new thing that Jesus is talking about? But I've explained this to you in other sermons before. The word church, here's the word ecclesia. It's actually a generic word that just means gathering. Uh, in fact, Israel had kind of been nicknamed the assembly of the Lord. It was when they gathered around God. God made them his holy nation, his special possession. Uh, the word in Hebrew is kahal. In Greek, it's ekklesia. And he's just like, hey, you are my assembly, right? There's something magical, powerful, amazing, beautiful uh, 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 that happened, mystical, when they gathered around God at Sinai. They became his assembly. And Jesus is now saying to the disciples, I'm building my assembly. And it's not connected to whether or not you are uh, ethnically Jewish. It's now going to be connected to what you believe about Jesus. Jesus says, I'm building my church. Look, friends, the church has all kinds of problems. I would not have done it the way God did it. All right? Uh, if it was me, uh, I would have just kept coming down and probably just speaking. I would have maybe showed up in 2020 where I had access to the internet. I would have had my own YouTube channel. It would be called the Jesus Channel, right? Jesus just 24-7. All right? He's on there. He's teaching, calling people out, standing up for righteousness like, like Jesus. But he didn't. And I'm going to assume that God actually knows better than me. Pretty easy to make that assumption. <laughs> Jesus decided that he was going to create his church. Now, he's the one who's creating it. But he's using us as followers of his, as human beings who are flawed, to actually continue the mission that he started. Now, he hasn't left us alone. We talked about that last week. We have the Spirit who's an advocate for us, helping us do the mission of God. But this is what Jesus does. And in fact, uh, the church in the book of Acts, 
uh, gets talked about or presented as this. Listen to this. Uh, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. So the church is presented as the work of the Holy Spirit, a creation of God, something that God's created, uh, being built in accordance with the plan of Jesus. And then in John and Revelation it says, and Jesus is zealous about it. Jesus cares about his church. Jesus didn't just leave and let us go. No, Jesus is active. He, he's passionate about what he is building in us, through us, among us, his gathering of people, his assembly. The church is the gathering of people who have God as their source and object. In other words, God is the one that we focus on, that we are about bringing him glory, learning, being transformed by him. Go ahead and take your Bibles and flip over with me now to 1 Corinthians. Remember I told you about the church in Corinth, how messed up they were, right? There's some beautiful things, though, that when Paul writes to them through the power of the Spirit, that he is reminding them this, this thing, this gathering of people, this assembly that Jesus is now creating and building. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 9. And I want us to start paying attention uh, to the things that Paul describes the church as, okay? Verse 9. For we are co-workers in God's service. And he's talking now to the church in Corinth. This you is a plural you, not singular. He says, you are God's field. You can just imagine all, all the implications that that has, right? A field that God is tending and, and he's planting and he's growing and he's harvesting. Like That's what the church in Corinth are. They're God's field. Not only that, but they're God's building. This thing that God owns, that, that he is designing and engineering and constructing and, and, it's, and it's getting stronger and taller and more beautiful, like God's doing something here. Uh, jump down with me to, to verse 16. We're going to read verse 16 and 17. It says, don't you know that you yourselves, this is plural again here, you yourselves, he's talking about the whole church there in Corinth, are God's temple. And that God's spirit dwells in your midst. In other words, when they are gathering together as the church, right? That they are God's temple, the place that God resides. It used to be that God's presence was uh, limited specifically to the holy of holies in the temple in Jerusalem. And now he's saying, no, whenever you gather around Jesus, right? As God's field, as God's building, you're also God's temple, the place that God himself resides. It says God's spirit dwells in your midst. He says, if anyone tries to destroy God's temple, right, he's talking about the church, right, the gathering of believers, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred. The church, the gathering of believers is sacred. And you together are that temple, he says. The Bible describes God, uh, the church as God's field, as God's building, as God's temple. Uh, we see in, in other places outside of Corinthians that it's talked about as the bride of Christ, the fellowship of the Spirit the Bible clearly teaches that God has designed the church. It's his idea. He's the one engineering it. He's the one growing it. He's the one transforming it and making it happen. And he's given it to us for our benefit and his glory. 
our benefit and his glory. Uh, Dr. Uh, James Sammer says this. He says, in spite of its manifold failures, God's church has been the means by which people throughout history and across the world have experienced true love, acceptance, grace, and forgiveness. Through the church, people have come to know Jesus and by his grace have grown to be more like him. Look, friends, churches throughout time and space all over the world have been feeding and caring for the poor and the orphaned. World Vision, Compassion International, like those aren't churches. No, but they are actually arms of the church. In fact, Compassion International only does their work through a partnership with a local church. These these organizations don't exist without the church, unless the church is doing its mission. Uh, The church has healed the sick. There's hospitals and clinics all over the world that are healing the sick, caring for folks that have nobody else that would care for them. That's the church, friends. Uh, The church has been, for generations, overcoming the powers of darkness. Things like human trafficking. There are organizations like IJM and A21 that are very much uh, arms of the church. We are the literal hands and feet of Jesus' body going into these places of darkness and rescuing people. That's what the church does. Look, there are all kinds of problems with the church. And maybe you kind of feel like, ah, man, I don't even know if it's really worth being a part of anymore. So many hypocrites are there. And like, I don't know if they're doing stuff the way that I would do stuff. Are they really doing stuff the way God wants to do stuff? Look, I get it. I feel it. And quite honestly, I'm even part to blame. I know that I'm not perfect. I wish I was better. I'm trying. I want to be better. We, none of us are perfect. Why God decided to choose me or Jordan or, or any of our staff or any of you for that matter to be a part of bringing his mission forward, like it, it blows my mind. Like if you're on uh, Facebook right now, that's the blow the mind emoji right there. You know what I'm saying? But there is a solution, if we're willing to believe it, that in spite of its problems, God is still the one who created it, designed it, and is working through it. Now, if, uh, if you have a relationship with God, the truth is, and this is true of me too, we are indebted to the church. If, if the church hadn't actually been fulfilling its mission, you and I would never have heard about Jesus. If the church wasn't taking its mission seriously, we would never have known. But thankfully, it has, and it is. And one of the questions I think we need to ask ourselves is, will that mission end with me? Uh, There's been a mission going on that God has been moving and working through people to bring that, and that's how you wound up hearing about the gospel. That's how you wound up becoming a follower of Jesus. Will that mission die with me, with you, with, with us? Now, in one sense, no, because God's Spirit's going to continue to form, do, uh, do you know, church-forming activity and, and work. That, that's what he does. Jesus has said that he is doing this thing, right? And the gates of hell can't prevail against it, can't stop it. But there's a very personal question. Am I actually participating, then, in this mission? Am I participating in the church? Look, uh, Whenever the Bible is talking about, not whenever, but most of the time when the Bible in the New Testament is talking about the church, it's not talking about the universal church. The universal church is, uh, in fact, if you read the Apostles' Creed, it says the Holy Catholic Church. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. The word Catholic there uh, is lowercase c. It's not talking about the Roman Catholic Church. It's talking about Catholic uh, universal. So the word Catholic literally means universal. So when they say it, they're talking about the holy universal church. That is all believers in all places throughout all time in history, both who have died already, who are living right now, and who will 
live in the future. But when the Bible in the New Testament is talking about the church, it's, it's rarely talking about the universal church. It does in a number of different places, but most of the time it's talking about a specific church, a local church. The only way to experience the universal church is to participate in a local church, a local gathering of believers. I don't have time to get into talking about all the different ways that what constitutes what a church is and what it isn't. Uh, golfing with some of your buddies, being in, in, in maybe a, a college small group, uh, gathering with a whole bunch of men for, for some great worship or uh, having a women's like a Bible study. All that stuff is great, but that's not what it means to be the church. The church is a place where we don't always get everything we want, but God has created everything that we actually need. Now, I want to talk about what are the benefits. Now, the only way that we get the benefits is, number one, if we actually believe in the solution, that it is God's design and God's doing something. And then we have to participate in the church itself. The only way to experience the benefits are to participate in the church itself. Now, uh, I want to talk about some of the benefits, okay? I'm going to hit these really quickly. Uh, But the church, friends, she is a place that we gather together to experience God live and in concert. I can't talk about all these different spots, but uh, Hebrews 12, this is where we get our value of awe and wonder. There is something about gathering that God is uniquely present among us when we're worshiping, when the Bible is being opened and his word is being spoken and and when we're enjoying and experiencing uh, communion and and giving of our gifts and, and serving one another. There's something powerful that happens in that place. God is live in concert. It's one thing to, to listen to a podcast. It's a whole other thing to be at a live show, right? God has not made us disembodied minds or souls. We are not simply ideas. We are real flesh and blood. God created us that way. And that's why gathering is so important and powerful and why God meets us in that place we are the body of Christ. Second thing is she is a place where we experience second friendships. You want to talk about the benefits? You ever heard, uh, this is a C.S. Lewis idea. First friends are like the people that you're like cool with. The first time you meet them, you just like jive with everything. You like the same things. You think the same way about things. Like you just enjoy being together. Then you've got second friends, which are the folks that you probably normally would never have been friends with them. But because of your connection to the body of Christ, you wind up meeting folks that you probably never would have wanted to hang out with before. They don't think the way you do. They got different ideas than you have. They don't like the same things that you like. But because of the body of Christ and our connection to one another, we begin to rub off on each other. And we actually become better people as a result of Our second friends, the body of Christ does that. That's why we need diversity. For us, that's why one of our values is different, is beautiful. The third thing is she allows us to accomplish more qualitatively and quantitatively. The quality of what we do and the amount of what we can do than any other collection of humans can accomplish. That's like real life Avengers. (laughs) Like legit, that's what the church is supposed to be. We can actually accomplish more together qualitatively and quantitatively than we can by ourselves. Friends, that's one of the benefits of being a part of a local church. You, you do this much, but when you do it with a whole bunch of other people, it's not just that it gets added on, it actually gets multiplied. The Spirit does something in that. We actually call this one our, our value as we create the future. And we actually think that there's something that happens uh, when we raise up leaders and send them out to help plant other culture-creating churches. God does something 
in the gathering of people around him in his name. Jesus said, where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Matthew 18. It doesn't need to be a mega church. It can be a small church. It can be a church that's meeting in a a building that's actually been designed for people to gather in and worship. It could be someone's house. It could be a pavilion in a park that people gather in on a weekly or regular basis. But the point is that there's something that happens when we gather together that allows us to do more qualitatively and quantitatively than we could do on our own. She is also the church, our mother. Uh, There's an old quote, uh, if God is your father, the church is your mother. She has the unique ability to help us grow spiritually, to become spiritually healthy, to mature. That's what moms do, right? Moms help grow us. They help mature us. In fact, the Bible is clear. You cannot actually grow and mature if you are not participating in a local church. You might say, oh, T, you've gone too far now. You've gone like, no, man, that's not true. Like, I can read my Bible. I can take an online class. Look, the Bible is clear. God intended for us to engage with him through a local church. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't want to engage with you at home when you're doing your devotions, that you can't worship God through Spotify or when you're out for the wall. Of course you can, absolutely you can. But there's something unique that happens where the church is intended to play the role of a mother in our lives. This is why we have the value healthy things grow. We actually believe that we need to be pursuing health as a church because when health comes, growth is the natural outflow of that. The next thing is she will fulfill or she will fill our innate need for community in a way that nobody else can if we allow her to. Now, this doesn't mean that it's easy, right? It doesn't mean that like first friends, like we get along really well with them, but second friends, they can be a lot harder. Look, we all need community. We were created for community. In fact, the church is almost intended to be like a city. Uh, the church does something. That's why we have a, a value, lone wolves die. We know we can't do it on our own. We need one another. We need people that are going to ask us the tough questions, that are going to uh, encourage us when we're down, when we don't feel like we can keep going. Uh, we need real people in our lives, and the church is the place that is intended to help fill that void of community that we all feel. She's also the place that makes Jesus visible on earth. The church is the place that makes Jesus visible on earth. Now, I'm not just talking about when we gather. We are only a church if we gather, okay? You can't say you're part of a church that you never go to, all right? That's actually why uh, I don't love the fact that the only place we can gather is currently online. It is what it is right now, but I'm not convinced that it's ideal. This is why the gathering actually has such power. But it's not just our gathering, it's also our scattering. You see, the church is a church because it gathers, but it shows Jesus when it goes back out into our neighborhoods. The church is intended to be the visible representation of Jesus. That's why IJM and A21 and Compassion International and World Vision, you could fill in a thousand other uh, hospitals and clinics and, and folks in your neighborhoods who are just loving. Like, that matters. Mel Trotter, what we've got going on, Degage, ICCF, Access West Michigan, all these things that, that we're partnering with. We are making Jesus visible. Friends, that is the work of the church. Uh, Johnny Cash, uh, probably if you've ever seen his story or read about him, you know he he needed uh, God in a way, uh, well, certainly as much as any other person that's ever walked the face of the earth. Uh, In his memoir, Men in Black, Johnny Cash actually says this. 
Not the kind of guy that I would normally expect to be uh, standing up for the church. But he says, if we're going to start nitpicking on what's right or what's wrong with this or that church, we could soon forget that we need a church home. Uh, what, we could soon forget what we need a church home for in the first place. He says, I need a spiritual foundation here on the earth that we all have to walk around on. I need a spiritual anchor that I can reach back and grab a hold of when I begin to drift. He says, I'm human, and I need all the help that I can get. I never thought church membership would be important to me. Of course, it isn't as important as believing, and you can worship God anywhere, but I need everything that he has to offer to give me support and courage. Johnny Cash found the value of the church, a spiritual anchor, a foundation while we're walking around on this earth. He knew what it was to be somebody who could easily wander. And that's why he said, I'm maybe the the last person to be talking about church membership or church participation. But he's like, look, I know how much I need it. I need everything God has given and provided for me. Uh, The truth is, is that God created a church to give us what we need, not always what we want. I know the things that I want. Like I want, uh, you know, a, a church that's filled with people who think like me. You know, act like me, look like me. Uh, I, I want a church that's comfortable, that meets my needs, that, you know, uh, I can go to kind of whenever uh, it, it works for me. Uh, I, I want a church that isn't going to require too much of my time, too much of my energy, too much of my money. Like, those are the things that I want in a church, but God didn't give us a church necessarily that we want. God gave us a church that he knew that we needed, a church that would have diversity in it, which would actually cause difficulty and, and, and friction, but out of that friction could develop a unity and a growth. He, he developed a place that we could come and share our faults, confess our sins, and that God's manifold wisdom and grace and mercy could be poured out on us and be a powerful explanation of who God is and what he's like to the world around us. God knew that we needed a place that we could gather with other people to experience his power and presence in unique and tangible ways. God knew that we needed a church that wasn't going to fulfill all of our wants, but was absolutely going to help us transform more and more into the image of Christ. The church, the assembly, friends, the gathering is God's gift to us. It was created for his glory and our benefit. I think a lot of us are feeling a sense of sadness in some ways, a bit of longing. In fact, I've talked to a number of folks who've actually mentioned this because we can't gather right now. In fact, my wife on Easter literally had tears just knowing that she wasn't able to gather with people that she loved and worship and and just experience the the power of that and and God's unique presence in the midst. Like, I know a lot of you have, been feeling the same way. And I think that that actually just proves to us that, you know, as much as we love, you know, doing church in our comfies on our couch with a bowl of cinnamon toast crunch, right, that that's actually not what's best for us. There is something that we need from our connection, our involvement, our participation. And I've also learned this. If you're just attending church, it's not a whole lot different than when we're simply watching a podcast. God isn't looking simply for us to show up 
in a building. God wants us to participate. And when we participate in the solution that God has given us, the church, the gathering of Jesus, followers, believers, when we participate, we begin to experience the benefits. I promise you, I'm not just talking about this because I'm a pastor. I'm telling you this because I'm someone who's experienced it firsthand. And I want it for you too. I believe in the holy universal church. And I hope you will too. Father God, we love you. God, the church seems like a crazy idea from from the outside, but God, from the inside, we begin to recognize how beautiful and nuanced and creative it is because it's your idea. You did it. You started it. You're engineering it and growing it. We are your field that you are planting and growing and harvesting. Uh, We are your field where, where you're pruning to create more fruit. God, we're your building that you are building up a foundation and it's beautiful and it serves a purpose. And God, we are your temple. When we gather together, the presence of the Spirit is powerfully present among us. We are a sacred space in our gathering. And that's because of you. Help us to fall in love with the church, to love her in spite of all of her warts that we bring in, that we create, Continue to mold us and change us and transform us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you, friends, and I love our church, and I can't wait to be back together. But I will see you this week, next time. This week? No, I will see you this time, next week, right here in the same spot where we will talk uh, about our final installment in our Words That Perform series.